This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, let's get back into our study of Mark. We've taken, I think, a two or three week break just because I felt that it was uh, so important to respond a little more spontaneously to the uh, traumatic events that uh, we've walked through these last couple of weeks. Um, I would challenge us to continue to pray uh, in regard to what we see going on in our community and in our country, uh, that God would give us wisdom to know our sort of how we, he's calling us to respond. I would ask uh, for you to pray specifically for the leaders in our immediate community here in La Mesa as they try, as they're under a lot of pressure from both within La Mesa and the larger community and even at a state and national level. And unfortunately, La Mesa has gained uh, unwanted notoriety. And uh, regardless of what your opinion is about what's gone on, uh, the most important thing we can do is pray for our leaders and pray that they would have wisdom and courage, uh, maybe I should say it this way, this way, wisdom and clarity and courage. Um, but uh, thankfully, we've moved past, at least it seems like we've moved, moved past the immediate uh, tension, and so I uh, felt like it was a good time to get back into the Gospel of Mark. We've only got a couple more chapters to go, and uh, we will be through this long study that we've been in. And as I mentioned, uh, the study is in our, our, our uh, series is entitled Getting In on the Good News. And we re- need to remind ourselves right now in the midst of everything that we see going on that the story, the message of Jesus, who he is and what he did and what he's done for us and what he's promised us is all good news. It's all good news for those who are humble and are looking for him. It's not so great, such great news uh, for the proud and for uh, people that... Uh, want to push uh, God's purposes away. But for those who have open hearts, uh, even imperfect faith, it's great news. So let's get into that once again. And the title of the message this morning from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, is Virtue Signaling. <laughs> virtue Signaling. Uh, you might, some, many of you maybe are going, what in the world is Virtue Signaling? Well, if you're uh, at all online these days, if you're connected through the internet, through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, through even on the news, uh, this is a phrase that has sort of risen up, virtue signaling. And the definition of virtue signaling is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. A more concise definition is that it's the conspicuous expression of moral values. Uh, Since we all know everything that's going on in the world all at the same time these days because of being online and and just, you know, instant news, uh, there's a pressure to have an opinion, uh, and I know not everybody experiences this in the same way, but there's a certain level of pressure to have an opinion about what's going on and to find a way to state that opinion that 
that demonstrates that we're on the right side, uh, whatever that might be, and especially that demonstrates it to the people that we've, whose opinion we value. Um, and that's called virtue signaling. Hey, I've got, I understand this. I, I'm on, I get this, and I, I'm, I'm with it. And there's just been a tremendous amount of pressure, and it's, uh, uh, it's not that we shouldn't be virtuous and we shouldn't be concerned about the values that we hold, but it's an unusual time that we live in that everybody feels the need, or not everybody, but lots of people, many, many people feel the need to uh, express those opinions and those values uh, to anybody and everybody as often as they can. Um, and, uh, and it's an interesting too, though, because there really is a clash of values and a clash of virtues and, um, and it's a confusing time to get a sense of what's really going on and how should we approach it. And in the midst of the, uh, the racial tension in our country right now, uh, we can look back to the fifties and sixties at the two most well-known figures uh, during the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, uh, two very passionate young black men, uh, two very brilliant men, very, and two men that were very, uh, very wonderful orators and great speakers. Uh, and they, uh, they, they were the two sort of galvanizing people in the black community that spoke not just to the black community, but to the nation. And, uh, and they held a lot of things in common, but they also had some values and some virtues that were very different and some goals in that that were very different. Um, and to oversimplify the matter, uh, we could say that Malcolm X sort of represented that uh, expression of the black community at the time that sort of, I think, had sort of given up on the rest of the country uh, and especially the white population of America at that time. And so Malcolm X led a movement uh, through the Nation of Islam, who he later got in trouble with, uh, really just pursuing black dignity and black self-determination uh, without any interest in reconciling with the white community. Um, whereas on the other hand, we had Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, oh, excuse me, and also Malcolm X, I think, uh, you know, was not afraid to, uh, to resort to more violent expressions of protest to try to demand rights and, and move their agenda forward. And in contrast to that, though Martin Luther King Jr. shared many of Malcolm X's concerns and he shared the, the passion for racial justice and, and all of those things, um, and he shared a passion for black equality, uh, he had a larger vision, in my opinion, uh, of unity and community with all people of all races in our country and around the world. They were two different virtues that they were signaling out there, two different visions of the world and visions of what was best even for their own people. And I think it's important that we think about these things and sort of where we stand and where we come from and what kind of virtues we're signaling and putting off to the world around us. And I think this passage in Mark helps us think about that uh, <clears throat> as we continue through our days here. Excuse me. Uh, the central thought this morning, if you're taking notes, and finally again, for those of you that are note takers, uh, you should have received by email um, a uh, PDF of some notes you could have printed out and write through, or there's also notes again through the uh, UVersion Bible app, the digital app, that, uh, or digital notes that are there as well. And the central thought is this, we get in on the good news 
when we affirm the immeasurable value of who Jesus is and are willing to, quote, waste our lives and our resources to honor him and to participate with him in his strategy of co-suffering love as the true path to salvation, reconciliation, and the renewal of all things. Now, I should have read the scripture or told you the story before I read that, so let me back up a minute. The story in Mark chapter 1, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, I'll just, I'm not going to read it, I'm going to tell it to you. Uh, we have just come from the end of Mark chapter 13, where Jesus tells sort of an apocalyptic, or talks an apocalyptic end of world type of terms. And uh, one of the things that's predicted in that whole thing is the, is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem which we know happened about 30 or 40 years after Jesus' death um, in AD 70. Um, And it's a very challenging passage. Um, And right after that, we come to this passage. And the first thing it says is that the Jews had had enough of Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders had had enough of Jesus. They'd had enough of his teaching. They'd have enough of his miracles. They'd had enough of him, what they saw as him being a subversive person that was coming to overturn their religion to uh, move them out of their positions and powers. And he, and he just had a vision that in their minds was completely contrary to theirs. Uh, and I think they also believed that he was going to cause them problems with their Roman uh, overlords. And so that's the context. And it says that during that time, uh, Jesus was at a, the house of a man named Simon the leper. We don't know who Simon the leper was, except that it seems rather indicative his name his title seems rather indicative that it's probably a man that had leprosy that Jesus healed and now he's in this man's home and it says he's reclining at the table because that's how they used to eat not sitting but reclining Um, and he's with his disciples and it says while he's eating a woman and we don't know this woman's name but a woman comes in which just the fact that this woman entered into where the men were is a bit startling in and of itself but she enters in and not only does she come in but she has uh, what is, it says it's a jar uh, or a vase, uh, some kind of container of extremely expensive perfume, what, they, what was called pure nard. And um, it was so expensive that it, the, the disciples say that it was, if you do the math and what we know about values back then, this perfume was worth an entire year's wages of, of what a day laborer would, would earn. That's how big a deal this was. And uh, so basically, this was sort of like a life savings for this woman. And it says that this woman makes her way into the setting, and she breaks the top off of this um, possibly a long neck vase, and this aroma all of a sudden fills the room, and she takes it and she pours this this perfume over the head of Jesus. And it begins to run down, and the fragrance just fills the room. You can imagine the, the, the startled reaction of the disciples and other people are there. And it says that the disciples immediately said, what a waste. And the Greek word for waste is the similar word for destruction. Like just a, what a complete and total waste. And it says that they rebuked the woman harshly. Like what woman, you could just hear him saying, woman, who are you and why in the world? Would you do such a wasteful, ridiculous thing? And they mentioned to her and to Jesus that this 
perfume, if nothing else, it could have been sold for a year's wages and that money could have been distributed to the poor. Well, Jesus wastes no time and he turns around and rebukes the disciples. And he basically tells them to shut up. And he says, you need to leave this woman alone because she has done all that she could. She has, he says, the poor, these poor that you think you seem to care about, you're always going to have the poor. You can help the poor any day you want, but you're not always going to have me here. And she has done a beautiful thing for she has prepared my body for burial. Because by now in the Gospel of Mark, from this point forward, everything is leading directly to the crucifixion of Jesus. And he says that she has done a beautiful thing. She has prepared my body for burial. And when the gospel is preached, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, through the rest of history, what this woman has done will be remembered and recounted, which is what we're doing right now. And then it says at that moment, at that moment is when Judas decided he'd had enough. And it says he went out to to, uh, make a deal with the religious leaders on how to betray Jesus to them. And so in light of this story, once again, the central thought, we get in on the good news when we affirm the immeasurable value of who Jesus is and are willing to waste, quote, waste our lives and our resources to honor him and to participate with him in his strategy or his vision of co-suffering love as the true path to salvation, reconciliation, and the renewal of all things. I want to go through the different figures in this story and talk about uh, how they responded to the way of Jesus and what kind of value they demonstrated in that. First of all, the way of Jesus was an imminent threat to the religious leaders uh, because their values, their top virtues and values were their personal position in the religious community and in their country, their uh, society. And their other values were religious security and national identity. They were all about uh, their person and their place. And when Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God and reaching out beyond the boundaries of the Jews themselves and touching people he shouldn't touch and caring about people he shouldn't care about and challenging the religious leaders directly, exposing their hypocrisy, he became an imminent threat. And, and they were, the vast majority of them were unwilling to recognize the work of God in Jesus. And they retreated to their religious security, their religious positions, and their national identity. We see in the story that the way of Jesus was a shattering disappointment to Judas. We don't actually know exactly why, what happened in this moment that caused Judas to betray Jesus but he was obviously completely disillusioned at this, by this time with Jesus. He had been following Jesus for almost three years. He was with all the other disciples. He'd seen all the miracles. Uh, he'd heard all the teaching. But somewhere inside him, there was a different agenda. Uh, we, don't know, um, we don't know if he was seeking position. We don't know if maybe he was a secret zealot. And that he was hoping when Jesus came into Jerusalem that he was going to incite a revolt and they were going to try to violently take over and push the Romans out. We don't really know. 
But whatever it is, we know that G- Judas was following Jesus for the wrong reasons. The values he had were in contrast to the values of Jesus, and he was disillusioned to the point where his vision was shattered, and he, at that moment, felt he had no choice but to go and get, maybe make the best of the situation by trying to get something uh, for the waste of three years. And so he, just, he determines to, to uh, turn Jesus in to the religious authorities. Looking to the disciples, the rest of the disciples, we see that the way of Jesus was a continuing, 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 I can't even say this, a continuing conundrum. Try to say that five times fast. <clears throat> as, they, uh, as they kept uh, just completely misunderstanding what Jesus did, instead of recognizing the power and the beauty of what this woman did for Jesus, they're rebuking her and they're, they're, they're va- virtue signaling by saying, well, if we had that vase, we'd have sold it and cared for the poor and completely missing the point. And they were really still seeking personal position. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit on your right or your left? Um, and they were more interested in their own religious and national identity and freedom. Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the nation of Israel? And so the way of Jesus, the values of Jesus, the vision of Jesus just continued to be a conundrum to them, to confuse them. But then we get to the woman, this unnamed woman. We'll never, uh, until until the other side of eternity or into eternity, we will never know her name. And yet her story is so beautiful. And the way of Jesus was extravagantly affirmed by this woman. And consciously, I think actively, consciously, she was just so enthralled with the person of Jesus. She'd obviously been around him enough to see what he'd done. Maybe, maybe it, probably she was somebody that he'd healed or forgiven. You know, who knows what her life was? We don't know who she was. But she was so impressed, so enthralled with Jesus that she wanted to express her worship and her devotion to who he is and to the way he was calling everybody to, that she just took what the verse says, that she did what she could or she did what she had, gave what she had. And she takes this perfume that is easily the most valuable thing she owns, and she breaks it over his body. I don't think she understood that Jesus was about to die. Maybe she'd figure that out at some level. But unconsciously and by the Holy Spirit, she was signaling uh, that, that the way of Jesus is the way of sacrificial, co-suffering love. In a milieu, in a, in a setting where, where the Jews, the religious leaders, the disciples, they were wanting to use um, <clears throat> whatever tactics they could to try to force their agenda into the situation. Jesus came to give himself away and to overcome the immediate situation and all the forces of evil and to provide for our salvation and our reconciliation and our renewal through the giving of his life and through his resurrected life. When you think about your own life and I think about my life, what is the value conflict between the way of Jesus and my way? Do we see Jesus sometimes as a threat have we ever been disappointed with Jesus? Uh, are we confused by Jesus? If you say no to any of those three things, then you've never really read the scriptures. You've never really understood the way and the message of Jesus. 
When we first encounter Jesus, he's going to threaten our, the status quo of our lives. He's going to be a disappointment when we think, oh, this is the way God's going to work in my life. This is the way he's going to work in this situation. Uh, and when he doesn't, he's going to cause confusion. Or when we feel checked in our spirit about something we thought we really had a handle on. If we've never felt threatened, disappointed, or confused by Jesus, I'm not sure we're really learning to follow Jesus. But I hope we can continue to follow Jesus and move in the direction where our hearts are so enthralled with who he is, God in the flesh, and the the depth of his love and the beauty of his sacrifice that like this woman, we're willing to say, God, here is my life. Here is everything I am and everything I have, and I lay it all at your feet, or in this case, pour it all over your head. Jesus calls us out of our religious comforts and our religious certainties, or our, even our political certainties. All those places in our, in our inner self, in our positions, whether they be religious, political, society, where we're comfortable and smug, maybe self-righteous, he calls us out of those places to really listen in, to him and look to his way. In a religious context, we have the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verses 6 through 8, where he says to the, to the religious leaders and everybody listening, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice or religious ritual, you would not have condemned the innocent, speaking of himself. And then he goes on to say, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The temple and the Sabbath, two of the most major religious principles of the Jewish world, Jesus says, I'm greater and better and beyond both of them. In fact, I'm the fulfillment of them. So are we willing to step out of our religious comfort, our religious traditions, our positional certainties and really listen to Jesus and let our surrender our values to his. Jesus calls us beyond our nationalistic and ultra-patriotic tendencies. That was one of the key issues with the disciples and with the religious leaders. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care that we're, Israel, that we're Hebrews or that we're Americans or that we're this or that. He's just, but it's just that he's called us to something greater that our number, he's called us to identify ourselves as the children of God that are working with and are following Jesus as the king of the kingdom of God. That is our ultimate identity. As it says in Hebrews chapter 11, we are with all of the people of faith that have gone before us, we're looking for a city whose foundations are of, of heavenly origin. And that doesn't mean out there somewhere. It means where God is the one that is truly in charge and truly reigning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul says, speaking of Jesus, for he himself, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, and he's talking in this case about the Jews and then everybody else, the Gentiles, those two major groups, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity out of the two. Jesus has come today to make one new humanity out of all of the different uh, races and all of the different nationalities. Not not obliterating the beauty of our differences, but bringing us to unity in himself. 
in his flesh he is, um, uh, excuse me, and in, in, in one, uh, lost my places. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The cross of Jesus Christ is the single unifying factory in the, factor in the history of the world. And as followers of Jesus Christ today, we need to step away from any form of virtue signaling, trying to exert our sense of self-righteousness and that we've got a sort of a, 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 a picture, a real true picture of what's going on, even if we do. If we're not really willing to follow Jesus and identify with his suffering uh, as, the, as, as the one who, who took all that anger and all the violence and all our sin on himself and then overcame it through his resurrected life, we are not following the way of Jesus. Jesus calls us out of our religious comfort and certainties, and he calls us beyond our nationalistic, ultra-patriotic, racial tendency, even, even race, identifying primarily with our race, whatever that is, and not that those racial Issues are not important. They're deeply important. But we find the true place of healing, the true place of reconciliation when we have a a commitment that's higher than ourselves, higher than our nation, higher than our ethnicity, when we truly commit ourselves to the way of God in Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus calls us to reevaluate in all of this our values and our priorities. And as we do that, to learn to worship and serve him and his agenda wholeheartedly. This is not, we have an opportunity, church, right now, because of everything that's going on, to come to a deeper, fuller level of faith and faithfulness to Jesus Christ than we ever have before. This is a great time, because all of the things that we're familiar with have been stripped away from us. There's all sorts of confusion. There's all sorts of worries. But what a wonderful opportunity to say, Lord, I thought I had things figured out. I was comfortable. I liked the way my life is, but it's not there right now. It's not there anymore, and I'm not sure it's ever going to be the same. But what a great time to say, Lord, I want to press into you. I want to look to you. I want to learn about your value as a person and your values in your way and in your vision for the way we move forward. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, after he talks about how he had all the religious and societal pedigree that you could possibly have in his day. He was at the very top of his game, as it were. But when he encountered Jesus, this is what he said. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage or refuse. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That is the way of Jesus. It's victory through the path of the cross, through the path of suffering. And Paul says, once I understood who Jesus was, once I encountered him personally, Every other trapping of my life, every other value of my life was put in a new perspective and I counted it all lost for knowing and serving and following Jesus as a person and in his way. And so I would just encourage us, challenge us, invite us this morning 
to reconsider our values, to reconsider what we're projecting out to the world about what's important to us and how we move forward in these times. It's so conflicting. There's so much anger. There's so much self-righteousness. There's so much confusion. Can I just encourage us to look to Jesus and invite him by his Holy Spirit to to investigate our own motives, our own values, our own uh, presuppositions. And can I just invite us to look to him and, and be wooed by him, by the beauty of who he is and what he's done for you and for me and what he's called us to. Can we choose his way, the values of Jesus in this confusing and conflictual time? Can we recommit ourselves? to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me close with this scripture in Mark chapter 10, just a few chapters back from where we are now. Jesus lays out his way this way in verse 42. He says, so Jesus called them together, his disciples, his immediate disciples. They'd been arguing about who was the greatest. And he said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Let's hear that from Jesus. Among you and among me, those who claim to follow Jesus, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Not a slave so they can get walked on, but as a slave in the sense of as, as, as subversive to, to a, a different form of attack in the issues that are going on in the world. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to everyone. For even the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, in this time... Are we willing to give our lives? Are we willing to give up our ideals? Are we willing to give, give up our view and take on the view of Jesus and the way of Jesus so that God might truly be glorified and our neighbors might truly be blessed and the world might truly be reconciled? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, I thank you this morning for the beauty of this really simple passage. I've, I've probably complicated it way too much. But Lord, just this picture in the midst of all of the, 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 the scheming that's going on around Jesus, amidst the, uh, the confusion and the, the complete, uh, the, the disciples just not understanding what's going on. Here's a woman, <laughs> and I didn't in- emphasize that earlier. It's the woman in the crowd that gets it. And she comes and she gives everything she has and anoints you for burial. Or there's something deeply mysterious about that. But I just pray that we could pause and reflect through this week on the beauty of who you are and what you've called us to. In the midst of all the confusion in the world, all the fear, all the anger, all the whatever, Lord, could, would you just draw us to yourself, help us to fall in love with you and to receive your love in a new way that we might offer ourselves fully to you and to your purpose in this world that you love so much. In Christ's name. Amen.